Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. It's frustrating that I think a lot of people in the, can, in the cancer sort of healthcare professions feel that people have got enough on their plates and don't want to burden them with something extra like now, now we're going to talk to you about lifestyle. But they don't realise that actually a lot of people who are going through a cancer journey feel very helpless and very out of control and desperate to do anything they can. They feel very passive and like they're part of a sort of um, bit just on a roller coaster being taken in a direction where they have absolutely no agency. And so for a lot of people come, who come across our services and start to engage, I think that feeling of actually getting back into the co-pilot seat, you know, you are the centre of your own health creation team, really, as a, as, a, as a patient, and you should always feel that way. And it upsets me that people often feel like they, cancer is such a scary and high-tech um, condition and, it, and there's a whole industry around it that people feel, I'll just leave it to the experts. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. A multidisciplinary approach in cancer care is a positive and empowering experience where people can choose what they would like to be doing. Every tool and approach adds on synergistically to provide better support. And this is what my guest, Dr. Catherine Zolman, GP and medical director of Pennybron UK cancer charity firmly believes in. Catherine trained to, to registrar level in medical oncology before qualifying as a GP in 1995. She completed a fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona in 2010 and works part-time as an NHS GP and as a GP cancer lead for the local clinical commissioning group. She's been on the podcast before. It was one of the most 
popular episodes we had on the series around cancer and all the different elements of improving one's resilience to cancer. And today we're going to be adding to that discussion by talking about the impact of the pandemic on services, but also looking at the next generation of lifestyle medicine practitioners, one of which is her son, who makes a surprise appearance right at the start. We talk about the general principles of an anti-cancer diet, medical tests informing, not directing treatment, the rainbow of exercises and why moving has anti-cancer benefits and building resilience and how for some people, cancer is actually an opportunity to start thinking about what makes their life richer. I've really been inspired by some people's perspective that cancer gives them. It's not necessarily a good thing, but the ability of one to look at something as emotionally draining as cancer in a positive light, I think is just absolutely remarkable. Like I said, there is a special guest appearance from Catherine's son, Luke, and his friend, Louis, who were helping out during this conference that we were speaking at. And I had the absolute pleasure of co-hosting one of the days with Catherine, who always seems to have a smile on her face. And Luke and Louis are fans of the podcast who wanted to say hi. So you'll hear from uh, Luke right at the start. Remember, you can download the Doctor's Cushion app for free to get access to all of our recipes. You can download it and get a free 14-day free trial. Android users, bear with me. I'm still building one for you guys. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter. Every week, I give you a recipe to eat, something to listen to, something to read or watch, and something just mindfully curated to help you live a healthier, happier life, and hopefully put a smile on your face as well. On to my podcast with Dr. Catherine Zoll. So Catherine, uh, I see you've brought some with you. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I snuck in my son, who, yeah. who has been um, a student volunteer at the conference. Um, and Luke's a first year nutrition and psychology joint honours student at Newcastle. Great. So really excited about all of this. Um, yeah, I feel very, very excited to be seeing the next generation of, of kind of clinicians and people interested in this space coming and being part of it all. Absolutely. So not only are you doing incredible work, but you're also helping inspire the next generation within your own household as well. Well, all I have to do is just show him your cookbook. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. <laughs> so Luke, tell us a bit about yourself. How's your conference been so far? The conference has been great. It's my yeah. first time at any kind of uh, convention or conference like this. Yeah. Um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind kind of helping out with all the different people, but it's been super exciting to see everybody with such a collective interest in lifestyle and nutrition medicine. Um, yeah, really striving for the change we desperately need to see. Yeah. So how, how old are you? I'm 20 years old. You're 20 years old. And you, and when did you first start getting interested in this? Because you you're interested in it from a very young age. From the, from the well, as mum will tell you, it, it wasn't always that way. <laughs> the, the teenage years was yeah. kind of like my anti um, area yeah. to anything lifestyle medicine. Yeah. At one point, mum said my religion was Bristol City FC and KFC. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we've had quite a sharp turnaround. Yeah. Um, but towards the end of school, I kind of started yeah moving away from certain people and getting into it was actually Wim Hof I would say that oh kind of interesting maybe set me off down that path there's a YouTube channel called Yes Theory yeah and they went on this adventure with him and I was like okay this looks pretty cool they're always like opening up and yeah. like talking and then I would say it kind of just snowboarded and then I was traveling in 2021 and I listened to 
episode 72 of Doctor's <laughs> Kitchen podcast, which was my mom. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And then it's really just snowballed since there. I've got all your books. Won't shut up about you to my friends. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's been the journey. Your other friend here, Louis, mm-hmm. who, who's behind the camera and behind the mics at the moment. We couldn't fit all of you in here, sorry. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's also into it. So I, I guess it's this... You're not an outlier. This is actually something that a lot of younger people are, are interested in. Totally. I mean, at Newcastle University, I thought I was pretty lucky to stumble across the Lifestyle Medicine Society. Mm. As far as I was aware, that wasn't a thing. And there's also NutriTank. So it's growing amongst young people, a desire to kind of go through this. And ultimately, so with the Lifestyle Medicine, I'll be there's cook-alongs, there's sunrise swims. And it's not just like boring stuff about talks i mean talks are interesting <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's about bringing people together and that's what i love about lifestyle medicine is these yeah. kind of ripple effects that rongan chatterjee talks about yeah. which act on so many different levels and kind of bring you together so i find it's a really good catalyst for getting closer with my friends and making new friends as well amazing so you're you're studying nutrition at the moment but it's not just nutrition is it no so i do a psychology and nutrition joint honors at okay. newcastle university and that sounds pretty novel. Is that I, I haven't come across that before. As far as I'm aware, there's three courses uh-huh. across the UK that offer that, offer that specific um, joint honours, and there's ten people on my course oh, in wow. total. Okay. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's and it's, it is a joint honours. It's not this carefully curated yeah. degree. But I was just super excited to find it at that blend. Yeah, yeah. And what do you hope to? What were your expectations going into that d- degree before you started, and where do you hope to take it? I don't really know what my expectations were, but it it drew me in. Um, I, I I'm quite like a I've got varying interests with different things, and I I think they both act on the kind of lifestyle medicine principles, yeah. mental health and nutrition, and then I kind of do my lifestyle stuff outside of that. In terms of ambitions, there's there's lots of different things spreading out in front of me. My head is a bit in diff- lots of different places, but. I know, for example, there's a food waste charity in Newcastle that I volunteer at a lot called the Magic Hat Cafe. Um, and Magic Hat Cafe. The Magic Hat Cafe. Oh, wow. so what are they going to pull out of their Magic yeah. Hat this time? Usually Amazon deliver all I these love different that. things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that acts on food waste, but they also get like refugee and asylum seekers in and it starts so many different conversations and mm. so many different things. So that's a place where I feel an insane amount of purpose. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm just trying to narrow it down about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think we're lacking at the moment? I mean, you, you just mentioned there's only 10 people in your course. So clearly, you know, there needs to be more opportunities and stuff for students to get involved in this. But where do you think the gaps are uh, currently in education? And after listening to all these talks, because you've been stewarding and, and helping with the mics and stuff like that, where, where do you where do you feel that you should be having a bit more? Well, I think it's it's, first of all, I must say that this conference is kind of light and day between or day and night between what I'm getting taught on my course I was on my first lecture I was kind of like pretty quickly coming to the terms that I'm not going to cover gut health at all not really going to touch on how food affects mood and that kind of thing um so I would say even in nutrition um first of all medical they don't get taught about it that much but even on the nutrition course a lot of it is guided by industry and not so much about health science and nutrition and wellness within food um so and some of the models are a bit outdated in terms of looking at everything and much more of a macronutrient but in terms of where we're lacking a lot has been mainly female presence at this um (laughs) conference and also in just the whole space in general so i think that's an area how do we get it targeted towards men and how do we involve make it a more well-rounded picture yeah yeah absolutely and in in terms of your generation i talk 
uh, about this as if I'm like 60 years old or something. But you know, I've, I've got a lot of uh, patients who are younger and stuff struggling with mental health, struggling with sort of um, uh, belonging to a, a tribe. It sounds like you, you, you're sort of developing that. How do you personally look after your mental health and how do you feel that your peers might also be doing the same thing or even thinking about it? So certain things which I do to look after mental I wouldn't say it's always like, oh, I'm feeling a bit of a dip, therefore I'll do this or do that. I just sometimes notice after certain activities, oh, that really perked me up a little bit. And so uh, some of that is volunteering, which I get involved with at Newcastle University, where there's a charity called Nest, which works with immigrants and science. It's just like a reading session, just like human connection for me is a big one uh, that kind of recharges me. And I, even if I go in, in a crap mood, I'm like... I walk out with a smile on my face like 100% of the time. And also physical exercise, cooking with friends is a huge one as well. Preparing, sharing food with friends. thats I love that and a bit of yoga. And yeah. Yeah, to mention a that's few. That's great. Catherine, how proud are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, is, it is amazing. And, and like Luke says, it wasn't always like this. And yeah. There were moments where I thought has some of the stuff that I've tried to communicate actually put him off and, and actually gone against against all of this? Because actually, so I think it is a really, you know, I'm, I'm really inspired that he's found places in the university where he can begin to find that he's not alone in this. Because I think yeah. our overall culture is definitely people come out of school really just ready to party and, mm-hmm. and don't, you know, I think, I think when you were saying where's the gap, I do feel like we're, we're not taught enough about how how delicately balanced this whole system is and listening to some of the talks today around some of the deficiencies in your in your early 20s can really set you up big time for problems later down downstream and i feel just very very well immensely proud and really grateful that luke seems to have stumbled on this and that it's making him so happy and excited and giving him this this future yeah um, to look forward to because i think brilliant. that's just what we need as you say we really Ab- badly need it. absolutely yeah there's many parallels my mum was the reason why i got into mm. nutrition myself as well actually she was the one really battling against my own sort of ingrained beliefs that the only way was sort of the conventional medical route and like taking pills and having interventions and whilst they're really important i was really losing or i didn't have any sort of the lifestyle piece so it's nice to see that the new generation are always piecing this together so the future's bright hey well it i've is. got a lot to be grateful for as well it's <laughs> not gratitude is in one way so yeah thank you to you too oh yeah. that's so lovely i mean i can't overstay my mind, but yeah. <laughs> thank you oh that's very sweet well awesome. we'll let you slink off awesome. uh because you you've probably got loads of well. work to do but yeah, yeah it was a pleasure chatting to you thank you it's been a pleasure <laughs> It's funny. Uh, I don't know if you know, Luke messaged uh, via the newsletter feedback form that I have, my regular feedback form. And people don't realize that I, I respond to as many uh, messages as I can. And I sent him a message not knowing that he was your son. <laughs> and I think he sent one back saying, oh, by the way, I'm Catherine's son. I'm going to see you at the conference. I just thought it was so sweet. Aww. You didn't say that crazy woman. <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, so look, look, the last time you were on, we talked about Penny Braun. Um, I've, I've, I've worked with you guys in the past. It's a wonderful, wonderful organization. I always direct people towards your, your work. Um, let's talk a bit about uh, how things have progressed. We were on the pod uh, well over a year and a half ago now, I think. What's, uh, what's, what's been going on in the meantime? Well, obviously the <laughs> pandemic has had a huge effect. Um, uh, you know, the cancer population and the cancer community were 
initially sort of named as extremely vulnerable. And so lots of people just retreated into their houses. Treatment was very disrupted. Diagnosis was really disrupted. Tests were really disrupted. So there was a lot of extra stress in in the whole um, area. We obviously closed our building and went fully online to begin with and we're just trying to support people and really amazingly we within a matter of a couple of weeks we got a lot of our services running online so that we were able to offer that community and and sort of professional support to people going through a very very difficult time so it's been wonderful and actually in some ways although we miss the very the the sort of intimacy of the face-to-face contact one of the upsides has been that we've been able to reach a whole load of people who would never have physically made it to our building and never been able to access our services. So people have, we've, we've had people from countries, you know, across the globe, but we, more importantly, we've had people kind of zooming in from their chemotherapy chair or sometimes from their hospital bed or sometimes with supporters and with family who would never have all been able to come together. So in some ways, it's been it's been a real journey of exploration and a real positive experience. And there are definitely people who have come across us who would never have found us. And the actual numbers of people that we're seeing have increased year on year, which has been brilliant because the other thing that, of course, really affected us as a charity is our fundraising activities, which were all sort of in-person group events. And so we've had a real shortfall in in our funding and have had to sadly lose an awful lot of really experienced, wonderful staff. But actually the efficiency of doing it online has meant that we've still been able to support growing numbers of people. So I think it's it's been a real mi- mixed, mixed time for Penny Bron. And you know, I think for some people with cancer, it's been a, a really terrible time. Trials that were, they were on were cancelled, opportunities for second opinions or for even just the normal uninterrupted c- cancer treatment has, has been really difficult. But for others, there has been this kind of reaching out to sources of support. A lot more has gone online. And in fact, some people in the cancer community were saying that actually as lockdown eased and people were going back out, that was almost more difficult for them because during the pandemic, they were kind of saying, well, welcome to my world because I've been on treatment. I've had to be isolating myself anyway. Now everybody's in that situation. They're so much more available. And as people who haven't necessarily been so vulnerable have kind of gone back to work, gone back to meeting people physically, that's produced and sort of it, it was fear of missing out but then it turned into fear of going out kind yeah. of so I think it's it's a really interesting time um, and as a charity I think we, we've in many ways gone from strength to strength and developed new things um, and we are now just at the point of beginning to kind of bring back some of our face-to-face services because you know you've been to the center it's such a beautiful place I was gonna say yeah the gardens the actual environment is such a sort of therapeutic and healing environment that we really really want to bring people back and we are starting to we've just finished doing our sort of second pilot residential retreat which is people come to us for three days and spend two nights as a as a group of people working together to build their resilience and to learn how to support support themselves and each other absolutely i i i remember that vividly and i think it would have been a real loss for your clients coming there and you know not being able to experience those walks in the garden or the you know the the senses you got there the exercise room the uh i believe there was a i remember when we had our first session with one of the nutritionists there it was in a in a painting area yeah just like you know the smell and yeah and a wonderful cookery demonstration room as well where people can actually really smell and taste and and actually experience the food being created rather than just being told this is a good thing to eat it's actually seeing it come to life yeah so we're gradually bringing that that back but it is a real tension because 
we don't want to lose the, the, the benefits of the online services yes, as well. I was going to ask you about that. So you must have found like a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, the benefits of going online as well in, in, in such a way that you can scale up your activities. What, what sort of services have you found have actually uh, maybe not improved, but been just as effective uh, communicated by Zoom or Skype or whatever your online uh, visual your teleplatform is yeah well uh we tend to use zoom just because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Started, I don't know, we don't get we're not sponsored by no. zoom <laughs> um, but um one of the wonderful things is that of course if you're inviting a, a, an external speaker to come in person they have to travel you have to pay their travel expenses we've been able to get i run a fortnightly um webinar called the resilience room and we really co- kind of incorporate any of the aspects of whole person health that can help somebody become a bit more resilient after a diagnosis of cancer. So we touch on some of the physical things we've looked at. Um, we've looked at physical activity. We've looked at exercises to prevent and manage lymphedema. We've looked at sexual dysfunction, but we've also touched on some of the psychological things, the spiritual things, some of the emotional things some environmental things and we've managed to get really national experts to come and share their wisdom with our 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 clients and sometimes we've had over 100 people joining a zoom session being able to participate in that community ask questions and and really meet the experts and that would never have happened in person so we've had this incredible program and people have been so generous um people you know, right across the country. Sometimes we've had international speakers who've given their time. So that's been a real wonderful thing. Um, We've also managed to, you know, doing exercise in your own home has been fantastic. So we run at least two or three weekly exercise classes specifically designed for people with cancer. So they know that they're going to be um, uh, led by somebody who's aware of some of the difficulties, aware of some of the cautions, yet they don't need to come and be public. Some people can switch their cameras off and be there if they're, if they're feeling that they are not in a very public mood that day. So there's all sorts of advantages in a way that we hadn't really anticipated and that, yeah. have, been, that have been very helpful. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into some of those uh, activities and also the importance of um, the multidisciplinary mm. team because, that, I mean, that's just essential to Penny Braun. That's what I think of. I think of all these different specialists and, and the, the information sharing and, and meeting people where they're at as well. So when I say this, there's no judgment, but certainly, you know, you're encouraging exercise, better diet, mindfulness therapy because there is evidence space behind how that can improve with reducing recurrence and also improving one's experience of treatment as well um how how uh, well, let's dive into one of those sort of topics which one would you like the nutrition element or the exercise well i'm so glad that you've kind of listed them all together because i think that's the unique bit about penny Bron is that actually we can start wherever the client wants to start and and it's not like you have to start with nutrition or you have to start with exercise we can really help people do a bit of a holistic assessment of where they're at and what might be the easiest and most beneficial gains that they can make given their particular situation. You know, they might be on treatment and feeling very fatigued, in which case doing a lot of physical activity might be quite difficult, but actually getting some emotional support or maybe some nutritional support around that time could be really beneficial. Um, Some other people really want to start off with the psychological side of things because they're just in a state of shock and can't really start to do anything else until they can help be helped to process some of that. And some of it is about just getting people out of their isolated little bubble where they think, is it me going mad? Does everybody feel like this? And actually just getting them to, into a group. 
And you're absolutely right that I think one of the one of the things I'm proudest of at Penny Braun is this multidisciplinary approach where as a as a, a team of practitioners, so we have doctors, we have counselors, we have nutritional therapists, we have exercise specialists, we have well-being practitioners who come from a variety of different complementary therapy backgrounds, we have art therapists and music therapists. So we can all work together to kind of make sure that whoever you are, um, you will find something that that feels interesting, appropriate, and really importantly, enjoyable to do. And so you can start, you know, a cancer journey is often filled with a lot of things that you'd really rather not be doing. And we can start to feel like, what would you like to be doing? We can start to bring back some of that positive experience, having a a, a nice experience of being touched, you know, through reflexology or through a massage, having an experience of being able to talk things through with a supportive group of other people who understand what you're going through. And and that's, that's been wonderful. Um, but we can do a deep dive. I think each of them has their merits. And, and the other thing is that I think when you do a little bit of each, then actually you start to get what I'd call a real synergy there that actually each one adds up to more than the sum of the parts, if you see what I mean. So, and I think it stops us diving down into one rabbit hole because I don't know, you might've had this experience, but sometimes when people get very excited about nutrition, they can, they can sort of, everything else can go out the window and it can, and then it can, especially in the cancer field, it can start to become super stressful where people are thinking, I, it's, you know, I might be doing the wrong thing. Is there somebody doing something better? Had I better do, spend another couple of hours trying to, you know, Google search the, the right thing. And then you get confusing and conflicting advice. And I know that you've spoken about, let's, let's try and make it simple. Let's bring it back to basics. And I think that's so important. And Let's also take the weight. It doesn't, your nutrition doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to, you know, we don't even need to focus on that today if there's something more important or something more enjoyable or more sustainable that you can do. And any area that you can increase your resilience in a tiny bit, I keep saying it will feed into the same pot. You know, it actually, if, if all you can do today is actually ring a friend or, or take your dog for a walk or read a nice book that brings a smile to your face, that's resilience building and that's yeah. fine. Or just, you know, write three things that you're grateful for. All of those things count. And then maybe tomorrow you'll do something different and that will that will help too. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, before we actually go into um, uh, nutrition and, and exercise and the different various modes and what might be more effective than another, um, I think some people might be listening to this and thinking, this just sounds like such an idyllic place. And I would love to have my treatment there, or I would have loved to have access to this information, let alone like the 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 um, the, the center itself. Where are the frustrations and the barriers for you uh, as to why this isn't just the norm in terms mm. of cancer therapy? I mean, it sounds very expensive from 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 my perspective. It sounds very uh, labor intensive. It sounds very inaccessible for if just thinking about the the waiting list of cancer patients right now. To, to get the conventional treatment, let alone the added benefits of all the, uh, the the elements that you've just mentioned. Well, this is another of my passions, is that I think integrative cancer care doesn't need to be expensive. I mean, I know there are an awful lot of expensive tests you can do and expensive supplements that you can buy and expensive treatments that are un- unfortunately only available in the private sector. But actually, there are huge gains and the evidence is really strong around things like being a bit more physically active, being a bit less sedentary, being a bit, you know, practicing some mindfulness techniques, breathing in a different way. 
improving your diet in ways which actually can mean that your food is cheaper rather than more expensive. So cutting out some of the processed things, going back to basics, but it doesn't need to be expensive, you know, very, very sort of niche products at all. It can be simple vegetables, um, fruits, whole grains, those sorts of things, which actually end up for many, many people, once you know how to prepare them, actually a lot cheaper. So I think it's, it's frustrating that a lot of people think it's expensive and often it really isn't. It's frustrating that I think a lot of people in the, con in the cancer sort of healthcare professions feel that people have got enough on their plates and don't want to burden them with something extra like now, now we're going to talk to you about lifestyle. But they don't realize that actually a lot of people who are going through a cancer journey feel very helpless and very out of control and desperate to do anything they can. They feel very passive and like they're part of a sort of um, bit just on a roller coaster being taken in a direction where they have absolutely no agency. And so for a lot of people come, who come across our services and start to engage, I think that feeling of actually getting back into the co-pilot seat, you know, you are the center of your own health creation team, really, as a, as, a, as a patient, and you should always feel that way. And it upsets me that people often feel like they, cancer is such a scary and high-tech um, you know, condition, and, it, and there's a whole industry around it that people feel, I'll just leave it to the experts. Yeah. And actually, the evidence is just that taking that step to take a little bit more control actually has really positive beneficial effects on your experience and your outcomes as well. So, so I think there's a frustration that I think if it's done in the right way, people don't need to feel burdened by it. In fact, it can feel like a real, uh, a real positive and a real um, gift in a sense to be able to be directed. And Because what we know is that if people are told when they ask their specialist, is there anything I can do to help myself? And they're basically told, no, not really, just turn up, turn up to your appointments, take the medicine. We know that they go off and do it themselves anyway. They will be doing Dr. Google or they will be reading, you know, newspaper articles or magazine articles and they might put things together in a way which actually really aren't helpful for them or which may risk undoing some of the, um, or working against some of the treatments they're on. So it's much better to have it in the open and have it discussed. So that I'd love to encourage more, more people working in the cancer space, more cancer nurses, more oncologists, more surgeons, more cancer support workers to think about referring people to, to outside organisations who can support them and, and who have got that quality and that skill and that experience of working with can cancer patients. Because there are a lot of people out there who, who say they can work and support people with cancer, but maybe don't have that experience. So I can understand their their reticence to kind of just refer to anybody. But there are now organizations, a growing number of organizations, <clears throat> who really do have the skills and the expertise and who can work alongside um, and who work respectfully alongside whatever treatments people are having to make sure that any advice we give actually just helps those treatments work more effectively rather than undermines them in any way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think, you know, people have had an experience where they feel patronized or it's a quite naive sort of, viewpoint that you just turn up to your appointments you just come for your your therapy you go home and rest you don't need to exercise you don't need to change your diet make sure you maintain your weight here's some whipped cream sort of thing with added sugar and uh you know i spoke with um sheila dylan actually who's very bravely shared her journey uh with cancer uh over the last few years actually in the food program she did a show on it in 2013 uh, she was diagnosed, I believe, in 2011, and she had the similar experience when inquiring about food. And obviously, she's an investigative journalism sh journalist. She's 
done a deep dive into the research. She came across a whole bunch of books as well, one of which was anti-cancer. Um, I wonder if there are some principles that we could talk about when it comes to changing one's diet for one that might be anti-cancer or cancer supportive during treatment and to prevent recurrence. And also, um, oh, we'll start off with that, actually, start <clears throat> before I, I, I dive into too much nuance. Yeah, well, I think the general principles of an anti-cancer diet are really the general principles of a healthy diet that that suits you and your individual co- co- constitution, just like we'd be talking about a diet, you know, for preventing cardiovascular disease, preventing dementia, preventing um, other sorts of inflammation, because at the bottom of it, really, we're talking about a good anti-inflammatory, whole food, plant-rich diet with as, as little as possible in terms of processed foods. And by that, I mean the, the sort of ultra-processed foods. I think people often read that as, well, I can't buy a ready meal. Mm-hmm. But actually there's ready meals and ready meals. And there's, you know, a, a, a fresh made-up soup that's that con- contains, you know, ingredients that, as as one of my heroes, Michael Pollan, would say, that your grandmother would recognise. If, if everything on the label is actually comes from a plant or is something that you would recognise, then great. Yeah. That, that d- doesn't count as a, as a processed, processed food yeah. in my book. So, yeah. and, and just and, and thinking about portion sizes so that we're not... that The, the balance of things on our plate means that, that we're getting, you know... I, you know, in an ideal world, if fiber isn't a problem and you haven't been told to go on a low residue diet, then at least half the plate being those kind of colorful veggies <clears throat> and whole grains and fruits. Mm. Um, so, and then there are some specific herbs and, and spices that have, that we know have, um, the research tells us is a very active anti-inflammatory, anti, um, anti-angiogenesis, which is the kind of, um, Cancer sometimes feeds itself by creating new blood vessels, and there are some very powerful foods that that um, sources of, of chemicals that will that will damp down those processes. So things like the um, chemicals contained in broccoli, in turmeric, um, in ginger, garlic. Um, <clears throat> these are all wonderful things to include, um, but many many spices really. Or, or, you know. The other thing about our, our Penny Brown healthy eating plate is that we have an area right in the middle for herbs and spices and just saying that actually they are so nutrient dense and so rich in many of the polyphenols that, that we're finding new research is turning up all the time. You know, the, the, the anthocyanins from your purple berries, the resveratrols from your grape skins and a little bit of red wine, a little bit of dark chocolate. These, these, these are, these, you know, eating... Eating in this way is actually really pleasurable. There's no need for any deprivation or sense of sort of punishment about it. It's it's really what can we add in to the diet to make it really to make it really nourishing and really enjoyable. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the, the, all those sort of elements, as you're as you're mentioning them, I'm just imagining the chapter in my book <laughs> from Eat to Be Illness of the, the on, on specifically looking at oncology and antigenesis. And I think those are fantastic general principles of whole food, minimally processed, and adding lots of herbs and spices because of all those different effects that you mentioned. That's a great sort of um, blanket or sort of target for for most people to try and achieve. Do you think, as we're at the personalized medicine conference here, do you think there is a role for metabolic oncology where one's um, diet can be personalized according to their individual blood sugar responses, perhaps um, an introduction of certain types of probiotics or uh, symbiotics, if you like, to optimize their, their gut flora so that can uh, potentially have an impact on whatever treatment regime they're on? Um, are, there, are there more 
targeted sort of ways that you see being introduced going forward? It's a really good question. And I think, I think at the stage, obviously I work for a charity and one of, our, one of our absolute aims is to make our advice accessible to all and not dependent on financial or other sort of social determinants. So I know that there are an awful lot of tests out there and unfortunately most of them cost an awful lot of money. And, when I, and I think if you're really stuck and if you're doing, if you've got the basics covered, so I think you know, one of the things that we didn't mention in that description of that basic diet, and it's if we say cut out some of the ultra-processed <coughs> oh, <sorry. coughs> foods, then we obviously, I think, you know, trying to reduce the added sugars and the, and, the, and, the re, and the refined carbs is obviously part of that. But if people are doing that already and still, and, and they're covering some of the other basics, because I think sometimes people, like we said, go down that nutritional rabbit hole yeah. and they feel that like, my diet's pretty good, but I just want to make sure it's even more perfect. Yes. And so, whereas actually what they're, they're not sleeping very well and they're, and they're super stressed. And so I think rather than encourage people to deeply personalize that if they're already doing the good basics if we can see when we do that holistic assessment that there are some other big areas which are maybe less less well developed sometimes there's not much you can do about those sometimes people just have a a super stressful life and there's not much they can change and that's fine then let's optimize the nutrition but if it's something that we can address that maybe is is just a bit less comfortable or it's a bit a bit of a kind of monster under the bed that you think oh this is you know i'd rather just focus on nutrition because i feel safe and good with nutrition then then i might encourage somebody rather to spend their attention and their energy looking at some of the maybe more psychological things maybe really turning to them themselves and really starting to think you know do i actually love myself is there is there how do i show that love to myself and what how do i nourish my spirits that's maybe the so that's an area that often gets a bit neglected people think of it as a bit of a luxury item yeah but for me it's a real fundamental cornerstone So having said that, I suppose I have, so so I guess what you're hearing from me is I have a kind of ambivalent relationship with some of the tests. But I think one of the other reasons is part, partly the expense, but partly because I think really interpreting them is still a, an art, not a science. And I think you, you really need, I think the great practitioners who use these tests take a helicopter view and actually often actually make recommendations that aren't based on the tests, make, make recommendations that are informed by the tests, but that are based on the other things that they notice or that actually the patient tells them. Yeah. So I think, yes, personalise, but my, my, my encouragement is to help people find the time and the space to actually listen to their bodies because I think actually our bodies tell us more intelligently and more accurately what's going on than any test that's available right now. Yeah. So if we can if we can start to think well actually you know I feel really good when I eat this way. Yeah. That's probably more reliable than saying oh you know your serum rhubarb has shifted two points because sometimes the abnormalities on a test like that are significant sometimes they're really not significant and I think we can go chasing all sorts of of, of a kind of red herrings if if we're not careful. So I think yes absolutely we need to personalize cancer care. But for me that doesn't necessarily mean lots of high tech tests i i think personalizing for me means what matters to you what are the what are your goals and what is what are the great things in your life and what are the things that are not going so well and how can we shift the balance so that we're we're really tipping you much more towards the things that are going to nourish you and sustain you and and that to me is real personalization but first starting with that kind of what matters to you and helping people be brave enough 
to, to articulate that, to even ask that question for themselves, because it's not something we, we tend to ask in medicine, is it? I mean, no. there is, I, I must say that, you know, NHS England have got a big What Matters to You campaign, yeah. and, <laughs> and they have a personalised care institute, which is designed to kind of get these, this way of thinking out there. But actually, unless you know about it, it's hard to, you know, it hasn't yet penetrated oh, the grassroots, has it? It hasn't yeah. penetrated to the average A&E department no, or no, the average no, primary no, care. No. And um, you, you can understand why, because we're currently firefighting exactly. as well. And so like this advent of personal, why, why does that matter to me? You can understand the, the rationale and that way of thinking. But I, I love the way you, you, you talked about, you know, uh, tests informing, not directing. Yeah. And I think personalized care is also collaborative care. And I think the idea of being more intuitive or introspective is something that perhaps is uh, a little bit lost on, um, well, uh, I, I guess it was lost on me for the last few years. I don't think interoception and trying to encourage people to be a lot more intuitive about how they feel after a meal or after an activity was something I really thought about. But now I'm diving a bit more into the research kind of makes sense. I mean, we have these incredible baroreceptors, chemoreceptors, all these different sensors, you know, more high tech than any D2C company technology that you can buy online to direct, you know, how your microbes are, how diverse they are and what your blood levels are. We have to really encourage ourselves to be a lot more intuitive because that's basically what our ancestors were going yeah. on, and they were right about a lot of things. And, and I don't think it means you you don't you don't be rigorous or you don't be scientific about oh, yeah. it, but you're just an n, n equals one study, and you can you know I think try something out, be you know write it down, see how you feel, you know, see what, what other circumstances are changing at the same time, you know get get some corroborative evidence from your partner, family, friends. How, how am I? You know how is am I just feel saying, kidding myself that I'm feeling better or looking better, what do you think? So I think we can be quite rigorous about it. Yeah. But I think there's a danger that these tests, again, put put our health in the hands of other experts yeah. and it all gets very complicated again. Yeah. And I think, yes, if we're, if we're really stuck and we're coming up against a barrier that we're just not able to shift, but when, you, when I talk to people who've, who've had these tests and, and sp spoken to practitioners, often the advice is back to that generic kind of, you know, breathe better, sleep better, you know, and, and, and so it's really important not to lose sight of the, the importance of those things in, in the high tech. And it's, it's super interesting, isn't oh, it? Oh, no, I, I find can, it fascinating. I find it really yeah, fascinating, yeah. but I also, it's, it's heartening. And I think quite a lot of the speakers at today's conference have, have, have said, you know, actually, you know, we still don't quite know the significance of these things. We're finding out these correlations, we're finding out um, these profiles, but actually trying to then turn that into solid advice on, on, a, on a sort of rigorous basis. I think we're still a few years, maybe. Yeah, maybe, probably maybe years. off, you know, yeah. no, maybe I'm... decades. I'm not sure, but <laughs> progress is being so fast. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But you yeah. never know. With, with exercise on that mm. note, so we, we, we've ticked off at nutrition to an extent. Exercise, if you know, if I had a patient or I had a colleague and I guess it really depends on the type of cancer we're talking about and the stage and, you know, the, the pre-existing activity levels of that individual. But which exercises do you feel have the biggest um, impact or the biggest bang for buck, let's say? And I, I know it's very hard to to say, oh, it's, it's Pilates 100%, you know, so everything is contextual. But which ones do you think in general? Well, it's a really most? good question. And I think, again... I would say we need to personalize our exercise prescriptions too mm. and and be quite dynamic and fluid because we want to start off where people are mm. and not give them some kind of unreachable 
target. This is this is what you should be aiming for because yeah. a lot of people they'll that, that because will put them you off. know the, the current NHS guidelines you know seventy five minutes or one hundred fifty minutes. It, it's out of reach for a lot of people, Absolutely. including myself. And I, you know, <laughs> and let alone if you've, you know, had major surgery and you've had, Absolutely. you know, a course of chemotherapy and you've got chemo brain. And mm. so, so I think we've got to be really, really um, careful to personalize it. And, but I think one of the things that is really clear is that it's, again, that mixed almost, I think, a rainbow of exercise. So we know that cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory fitness plays a big part, but we also know that muscle strength is hugely important. And so exercises that that either combine those two or different exercises that touch those things. We know that kind of creative movements, so some of the kind of dance therapies or things more like Tai Chi and Qigong have had fantastic um, research evidence around improving uh, mental health, but also improving physical health, reducing side effects. Um, so I really like this idea of a combination approach, but it nearly, it absolutely does need to take into account some cardiovascular fitness and some muscle strength. Now, a lot of people with cancer will also end up having problems with, you know, potential late complications with bone health. And so there's thinking about bone health and your exercise prescription and program as well. So we really want to be doing some weight bearing exercise as well. Um, and we want to be thinking about balance and flexibility to reduce the risk of falls. So a lot of this is actually, you know, it is there are different types of exercise for different for different things. And there are a few few, you know, you've mentioned Pilates. Yoga is one of the the, the most studied in the cancer field. Um, and and some types of those yoga and Pilates actually incorporate a whole range of those things. So they're great because they almost are a rainbow of exercises. And some of them then will include some mindfulness or some breathing practices as well. So that's great. But actually, if yoga or Pilates isn't your thing, you can do it in other ways. And there are so many benefits of nature exposure as well. So actually doing something that takes you outdoors, if that's walking your dog, if that's going for a swim, um, if that's if that's going for a, a jog or a run or a hike somewhere that that has those added benefits. And so I think, again, it kind of comes down to what do you like doing and what are you going to carry on doing and what can you see yourself gradually building a, hel- a healthy and sustainable and enjoyable relationship with? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very similar concept in uh, food as well. I mean, consistency, I think, is the biggest mm. factor rather than the actual type of diet, the quality of diet. And I think, you know, even though you might argue weight-bearing exercises or doing squats is great if you don't like doing that and you can't bear to do it and you'd much rather do something else like a walk or a run that and you're going to be a lot more consistent with that that's definitely going to have more of an effect um i did want to talk about resilience i think Mm. this is a, a really important topic particularly when you're going through something as emotionally draining as as cancer let alone physically draining you've got a really lovely um uh slide that we're going to put on our show notes as well here um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the way in which you approach the whole person, the mind, the emotions, the body, the spirit. I mean, we talked a lot about the body here, but not yeah. really much about the other yeah. three. And it's fundamental. So we we talk about our approach as an approach that can really help you build whole person resilience. And I think of resilience as our capacity to respond constructively in the face of challenge. And sometimes that can be a kind of like aiming to bounce back to where you were, although we really talk about, you know, and many people who've been on a cancer journey themselves would say that you don't bounce back to the old you. There is a kind of new normal that, that, but that, that can emerge 
after an, after a cancer experience and helping people to to feel as strong and replete and sort of well resourced in 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 themselves and it really does help to break that down and think with some people think of resilience as physical fitness and it and that is a part of it but actually there's your emotional resilience there's your mental resilience and there's the kind of we call it we call it spirit at Pennybron, but often people think of it as kind of your purpose or your meaning or your connection to things that are outside of you that matter to you. And you know, love is a big word there as well. But the more topped up you can feel with things that you love, things or people or places, actually that that prepares you for for future challenges and for challenges along the way. And so, and we know that those are really important aspects of resilience. And then we can also build our sort of community resilience and the relationships build resilience into those relationships having good um, open conversations and connection with the the people closest to us but also with our wider communities we can try and put ourselves in in spaces and places that that help us be resilient as well and we can try and also sort out some of the practical issues so money and work and help help us find our 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 way of best relating to those sorts of things. And we won't be, again, I think the lovely thing is that we can, as long as we're aware of all those aspects of resilience, we don't have to do them all and we don't have to do them all at once. And and we can start where we where we want to, but they all do feed into that same same bucket of resilience as, yeah. a, as a, the same tank, uh, which, yeah. which really fuels us. And it is incredible that some people when you know the cancer is the opportunity for them to start thinking about this sort of thing in a way that maybe they've never thought before and sometimes it doesn't not always at all but sometimes people do really say if it wasn't for the cancer i would never have done x y or z which has made my life so much richer so much which has made me feel so much better it's taken me in a new direction because i suddenly see the value of these sorts of things so I think resilience is a great word. It it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean being like a, a rubber ball which bounces back to its old shape. In fact, sometimes it is. Um, I, I I've read the work of Chris Johnston, who's written a wonderful book called Seven Ways to Build Resilience. And one of his metaphors is that sometimes you you know you drop a vase, you break it, and you can kind of put it back into a new shape, which actually is even more beautiful than the original vase. So it's not about re- rigidly sticking to. <clears throat> to old old forms and old patterns but it's about creating new patterns and yeah. and being courageous enough and well supported enough yeah. i think to do that yeah it's like you're communicating with me telepathically here because i was literally just thinking about kintsugi which is that japanese art form yes. of breaking the uh, the vase and then patching up with gold lining yes, so it looks even exactly. more beautiful and incredible i haven't actually done that i need to do that because i'd love to have one of those vases but uh, i think the uh, enriching experiences of, of mm. doing it myself would be awesome and i i'm, I'm so glad you said that about certain patients' experiences of it being not necessarily net positive, but certainly enriching thereafter. You most most people think about cancer as something gravely negative, and whilst it is horrific, some people, if you have that growth mindset, can really look at it in a different light. And as you are talking about all these different things, you know, one's diet, one's movement, one's psychology, one's ability to be resilient. These are things that I think most people need to think about regardless, you know, you know, uh, looking at this diagram that financial uh, issues, time restriction, um, the the, the loss of sort of uh, the the emotions, emotional buoyancy. Honestly, I, I think that there is a lot that people can learn from listening to this and actually learning a lot more about resilience. 
regardless of a diagnosis at all. I completely all. agree. And it was really interesting, actually, when the COVID pandemic sort of really hit and, and a lot of our community ca- came online, in some ways they felt better prepared for COVID because they felt I'm already looking after myself and I'm already actually doing a lot of things which I know will help build my resilience. And really interestingly, the cancer community, although in the initial phases, they were kind of like, this might be one of the high risk factors. Actually, it didn't turn out to be half as high risk as some of the other actual lifestyle illnesses like blood pressure and obesity and things. So I wonder whether that is you know, related, but certainly in terms of, you know, psychology, people were already taking vitamin D, had already looked into some of, you know, were already exercising, were no, knew how to exercise indoors. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the, we all come at it through different lenses, but actually, you know, there have been some fascinating talks here, you know, integrative approaches to rheumatology, integrative approaches to mental health, but many of the principles have been very, very similar around yeah. How to, how to give our bodies the optimum conditions to find that resilience that we need in, in 21st century living. Because actually, one of the big things is that, you know, we're living a life that really genetically and biologically we weren't designed to live. So we've actually got to work more actively than maybe our ancestors did to keep that resilience up. Absolutely. Catherine, you're such a legend. I absolutely love you. I love your energy. And uh, I just think the work you're doing is amazing. I just can't wait to just continue to support your work and uh, and see what you're going to be up to Aww. next. So really Thank appreciate you so much. And, on. you know, Rupi, I mean, it's it, the inspiration that people like you give to, you know, the communities out there is just phenomenal. And I think it's really lovely. It's great that you're you're reaching out into communities, you're, you're you know, using your platform to kind of champion these things because I think it it makes so much of a difference. I can't tell you how how heartening it is when people hear it just from one place. It's a bit difficult to trust when they start hearing it from multiple different angles and everybody starts saying the same things. And I I love that about your approach is that you're always trying to find the common ground. Um, and 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 sort of although you get nice and geeky and, and interested <laughs> in in the new developments, it's always okay. So how do we bring this back to actual yeah. real people in their lives? And that's just fantastic. So thank Thank you so much oh, for all the work you, you do. I appreciate Brilliant. that. That was so lovely of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Catherine. She is a breath of fresh air and I love just her energy and how she always appears to be beaming and brimming with a smile. You can find out more about Penny Braun, a fantastic charity. And if you want to donate, there's a donation page as well, the links of which are all on the show notes and you can find more at thedoctorskitchen.com as well. If you're looking for more information about cancer and all the previous episodes, just go to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash podcast and type in cancer in the search bar and you'll find all of our podcasts on cancer therapies as well as anti-cancer diets and all the other elements that you can do within the lifestyle realm to improve your well-being. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I will see you here next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 